It's This Week in Sleaze with your host, the great lord, Joshua Regal and Sleazy K. This podcast has been rated Category 3. No one under 18 may be permitted. Welcome. Let's talk some fucking war crime. Yes, true crime has... No, I can't, <laughs> I can't. I can't do it straight. <laughs> it's serious. It's serious, Scream. man. <laughs> it's it's a serious thing here. I can't do it straight. But okay, let's talk some fucking war crime. And uh, you know, you can sense a little bit of uh, lower enthusiasm in my voice. It's because it's because we are taking things a little bit bit more seriously this time around. It's not uh, titty good time uh, this time around as it usually is. So. Uh, because uh, true crime for us has been the theme before, as we've looked at several 90s productions from Hong Kong cinema exploiting and depicting famous serial killers and famous uh, crimes or infamous crimes in a very commercial way and uh, in a very commercial era for the Category 3 movie. But the late 80s had no such trend, and former Shaw Brothers director Mu Tun Fei unleashed in 1988 one of the most notorious nasties out of Hong Kong cinema, although it's made on the mainland, and it's called Men Behind the Sun. And as Wikipedia quite correctly says, quote, a graphic depiction of the war atrocities committed by the Japanese U- Japanese at Unit 731, the secret biological weapons experimentation unit of the Imperial Japanese Army during World War II. No titty good time here, so um, uh, let's uh, so let's uh, dive into it and uh, examine the movie and the history and all of that. And I can uh, I'm not gonna be I'm Sleazy K, and uh, with me is the great Lord Joshua Regal. So welcome back and for to the first uh, this weekend's days of 2014 and a feel good one at that. Yeah, I was about to say it's coming back for really happy good time. You know you've had uh, you you had enough fun. You know at uh, Christmas and New Year's, I'm here to like bring you all down with uh, like true war crime or what have you. So, but uh, I, I I thought this uh, I always wanted to look at the movie because I haven't seen it before, and I thought it deserved um, a coverage and uh, context and all of that. So we'll uh, talk some uh, quite extensive history. Uh, this is a two-parter of sorts as uh, we will also look at. Moose's 1995 historical war drama Black Sun, the Nanking Massacre in a later episode, but uh, uh, since the Men Behind the Sun examination is quite hefty, I thought we'd keep the focus on one movie for once, so look out for a uh, future episode on Black Sun. But uh, in the meantime, uh, some contact information. This is This Week in Sleaze on the Podcast on Fire network. You can find the show on podcastonfire.com and also all the bonus episodes are on that site. Email for feedback, podcastonfire at googlemail.com. Also send us feedback on our Facebook page that you can find at facebook.com forward slash network. Check for updates and what have you, and the updates and the feedback can also be left uh, seen and left in the Facebook group. Type in Podcast on Fire Network in the Facebook search bar, for instance, and you'll find the group that way. And you can also tweet us at twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire. I write uh, about category free movies, Taiwanese movies, uh, ninja, cut and paste, exploitation at sogoodreviews.com. And uh, also, small video reviews are there for the main reviews, uh, main big reviews at sleazykvideo.com. Just uh, been uh, in the process of transferring uh, a large chunk of videos from Blip TV because Blip TV threw me the fuck out. Because, uh, yeah, I don't have the quality it takes to be represented on Blip TV. 
Uh, it's a what? mixture of me not, you know, presenting the most pristine, super high def videos of uh, movies with bad source material anyway. Uh, but it's not really original content the way they want it. I mean, if I would appear on camera, I think they would be more lenient. But uh, uh, so I put uh, some of the stuff back on YouTube because I don't review as much Category 3 movies, but the more risque material is, at the moment anyway, also on Daily Motion. And it seems to be going fine over there. So, yeah. Yeah, so, so it's been a little bit... Uh, some videos have been available, some not, but uh, I'm finally done after a few months' work here. So, uh, I also tweet at twitter.com forward slash reviews, and uh, that's me. Uh, iTunes! This week's list is on iTunes, and if you like us, like the show, please leave a star rating, and if you have the time, a small written comment. That would be appreciated a bunch. And also Stitcher is where you can um, stream us. You can do that online as well as via the applications for your iPhone, iPad or Android. And search this week in Sleaze once you're in the application. And that will get you the chance to listen to us and obviously add us to your favorite list if you find us that good and lovable. Maybe before, maybe not after we've talked about uh, <laughs> the stuff here in this episode. Not that we're going to laugh at it, obviously we're not, but it's, uh, it's, a, it's a tough one even reading and talking about it. The graphic, uh, uh, it's going to be graphical. So, yeah. uh, Shelf Life Clothing is the uh, clothing line for our friend Brian Kirby. So buy some t-shirts from the guy who helped out with our intro and outro, shelflifeclothing.com. Over to your plugs, uh, Joshua Verit, Sally Lloyd and the Trashy Trio in essence. So what's going on? Uh, not a whole lot with very Celluloid right now, just getting over Christmas, and uh, I'm about to go back to school, and it should be kind of madness, so not probably going to be doing a whole lot on there, you know, try to pop out a couple of reviews here and there, but just right now, uh, kind of, not a hiatus, but like, it's not a huge priority right this second. Uh, the Trashy Trio, we've got a couple of episodes in the can. So uh, there should be one probably going up as of today, as of this recording, for mm-hmm. uh, Olga's House of Shame. Boy, then, oh boy. Oh yeah. It sounds like a, a kind of a, a freak show amusement, uh, freaky amusement park ride, if you will. Like not a haunted house, but kind of this <laughs> sleazy ride of some sorts, which I'm sure it is. Come into the parlor of Olga's House of Shame. No, uh, it's a 1960s sexy uh, I don't know it's like a 1960 <laughs> crap is what it is but we love yeah. to talk about it anyway <laughs> well I, I I'm not going to spoil it but uh, I enjoyed it and uh, I think most people enjoy the episode uh, it's a lot of uh, women being tortured by various other women and uh, can't go wrong there it's an old black <laughs> and white 1960s sexploitation flick that uh, is very very weird very bizarre mm-hmm. so we did that and then soon enough afterward uh should be doing red to kill on the boy, show oh boy and then bringing the cat three R- over there too. R- rapey rapey good time with uh, an overacting wrestler absolutely <laughs> yeah we've done a commentary on that on this weekend's least slash commentary on fire with me Stu and king who back in the day so um yeah, it's a, I, I like that there's more coverage of it. It, it, it definitely deserves it, so good on you. We mentioned that several times on the episode, and I listened back to it again to try and steal as much information as I could. Absolutely, you're welcome. It's not original thoughts or anything, so... <laughs> Uh, there's no really valid faults either, so it's no, no use stealing. You know, you're just gonna co- come off as a jackass because it comes <laughs> from it comes comes from me originally. So, 
No. It's no good. No good. Can set. Oh. So Kenny no. told me this. Bork, Bork. I like Hong Kong movies. Bork, what? Bork. <laughs> That's your impression of me. That is not. <laughs> Alrighty. Uh, let's uh, take a short musical break and then uh, we'll give you the rundown and start discussing uh, Men Behind the Sun and its background. So we'll be right back. Welcome back, and since there are some segments in this show, um, even if the show is not necessarily super long, I'll give you a rundown of what to expect here, and the structure and segments will go as follow, follows. And you can uh, see the details with um, what they are, and with timestamps in the show post and show description, so you can skip ahead to decide segment if you so uh, wish, but uh, we'll hope you stay for the entire show. So first of all, we'll do an extensive background on the history of Unit 731 uh, before, during and after the war. Uh, after we'll do a biography on director Mu Tun Fei and ending the show with a review and discussion of Men Behind the Sun. So it's three distinct segments even though this might be an hour and a half or 90 minute show if you will. So let's, uh, let's get on with it. Plot first and uh, I, I'm really gonna repeat something I said at the top of the show because it, it the movie doesn't have a large drive in terms of following a character and its drama, although the youth core in the movie can be said to be like our leads. But I, I think a repeat of the Wikipedia summary works as a plot summary as well. So again, Men Behind the Sun is a graphic depiction of the war atrocities committed by the Japanese at Unit 731, the secret biological weapons experimentation unit of the Imperial Japanese Army during World War II. So that's it, and uh, uh, I I didn't really know about 731, and uh, I thought it was a good time to uh, get acquainted with uh, some pure evil, if you will. Uh, but I, but I think it's you know it's good to have context uh, because the movie movie aims to like present something uh, you know valid and not pure exploitation in tone. You know, it, it's a movie with a lot of research. So I thought that we we could do the movie kind of justice as well by diving into it and uh, educating uh, possible uh, new uh, listeners uh, about what Unit 731 in essence was. Uh, so uh, this uh, was uh, this covert biological and chemical warfare research and development unit of uh, the Japanese army that performed lethal human experimentation during the uh, Second Sino-Japanese War lasting from uh, 1937 to 1945 and uh, World War II as well. Uh, it was based out of the Ping Fang district of Harbin, the largest city of the Japanese state of Manchukuo, which is now part of northeast China and uh, Manchuria, I believe, uh, as it uh, stands now. And uh, the unit was officially known under the more cleaner, less evil banner of Epidemic Prevention and Water Purification Department of the Quan Tung Army. And it was uh, originally set up under military police rule. It was 
taken over and run by until uh, the end of its existence by General Shiro Ishii, which is a character in the movie, the main Japanese character. Uh, he was an officer in the Kwan Tung army. The figures vary, but between 3,000 and 12,000 men, women and children died during the human experimentation conducted at, at this Ping Fang located camp alone, but there were more units, so that uh, units, so that number is only four units seven three one, and uh, it said about seventy percent of the victims were Chinese, both civilian and military, but even uh, Russians were detained, uh, uh, prisoners of war were as well, and other victims from uh, all over Southeast Asia. Uh, post the uh, Unit 731 experiments. Many of its scientists uh, went on to prominent careers in post-war politics. You know, speaking of fair, you know, you, you, you be evil for a number of years and that gets destroyed while well, you can still have a career like yay. Like, so, uh, uh, so they went into uh, war politics, uh, business and medicine while some were arrested and uh, put on trial. I emphasize some. Um, some surrendered to American forces uh, and uh, ad aspects like that, the very latter part, will be covered um, yeah. later in this examination. I know we'll get into it later, but it's just it's so bizarre, unethical, and mind-blowing to think of the logic behind giving these men immunity after everything they had done, especially when you look at like Germany with Joseph Mengele and how those characters were handled and how that was you know, just uh, Joseph Mengele, who had to run away to South America and spend the rest of his life in hiding, basically. Mm -hmm. it's, uh, it's kind of a tragedy, and I guess this film kind of gets to that, you know? Mm. Yeah, yeah, I, I mean, um, the granted immunity aspect that uh, one of the key Japanese characters uh, a man did get was, you know, Joseph Mengele might not have had as much to give, Right. As, uh, the Japanese had about to some too. twins, but not about you know biological warfare. Exactly, uh, the Japanese uh, science uh, research data was uh, interesting to um, to the Americans in this case. So um, uh, that's why uh, the immunity was granted uh, towards one character. We'll talk of um, that um, that more. But yeah, it's uh, it's crazy how uh, cold this all. Uh, was you know just right. in the name of biological warfare, and they really make a point in the movie that this is the way, this is the way we're gonna win the war this way, and it's right. just um, cold and cruel. Yeah, I mean, I know human experimentation is valid or anything to, as as far as I know, but uh, regardless, it's still uh, that's the um, point, a uh, very valid point to to give give all this. It's not you, you can't see any um, good. It's just rapid, you know, win war, right. win war, pre you know, supremacy. Yes. Um, you know, it seems like they just wanted to wipe out the entire world, really, except for themselves. Yeah, I mean, that was really the, the point, you know. Mm. When you start talking about sending the bubonic plague and whatever to yeah. another country, it's like, Jesus. And we'll be safe because we're Japanese. You know, it, right. it, it, it seems so naive, really, and uh, very, um, yeah. It's insane. Uh, strange. <laughs> insane, insane yeah. indeed. Uh, as Unit 731 began to gather its test subjects, it went under a special code name, project code name, Maruta. And test uh, subjects were gathered from the surrounding population were, and were labeled as logs, as a staff joke, really, because the official cover story for this facility, uh, other than being named what it was, uh, that I said earlier, was that it um, actually was a lumber mill. Uh, so they apparently weren't, uh, you know, examined closely, despite, you know, being the uh, 
so, so to say, um, rulers of the state. They still were, went under a you know a cover uh, organization, if you will. Uh, they picked from various traits uh, within the population. You got criminals. They had political prisoners in there, but just they rounded up people for vague accusations. Really, you know, suspicious activities. Well, you're coming with us. Uh, even including infants and uh, the elderly and pregnant women, you know, no one was really spared. They just cattle. They just right. rounded them up and uh, put them in there. Uh, so what went on more in detail within the walls of horror at Unit Seven Three One? Then I mean, it's uh, I think it's uh, we're, we're not gleeful about it. I think it's just fair to like be um, to not uh, to not hide the truth, if you will. And it's, the truth is difficult to hear. Human evil is difficult to hear about. But I think it's. Uh, why Mouton Fay wanted to make the movie and certainly why I want to present as much details as I can without uh, you know uh, uh, without uh, going into every single detail of each experiment but some needs to be said uh, simply put uh, well prisoners of war for instance were subject subjected to vivisection without anesthesia it said and uh, as far as I know vivisection is essentially surgery done on a living organism whether human or animal a, a sedated uh, uh, a sedated subject uh, rather than uh, uh, cutting someone up while screaming and being alive because obviously it's uh, you, you can't uh, cut out uh, cut out the body parts smoothly that way uh, this uh, was kind of done as a follow-up procedure after infecting prisoners with various diseases and the choice to do it while they were alive uh, was so the scientists could study the effects on the organs without decomposition playing a factor and the scientists uh, you know, didn't just stop at, uh, you know, prisoners, bad men, you know, they did, they included everyone, you know, men, women, children, and infants in their um, research. Uh, prisoners had limbs amputated uh, to study uh, blood loss. Uh, sometimes they were frozen and then thawed to study the effects of uh, gangrene and rotting. And uh, in 2007, uh, a Japanese army surgeon called Ken Yuasa, Yuasa said to the Japan Times, uh, quote, that I was afraid during my first vivisection, but the second time around, it was much easier. By the third time, I was willing to do it. Oh, yikes! Uh, you get uh, you get easily roped in, I suppose, and uh, that's uh, that's what it is. Uh, furthermore, prisoners were infected uh, uh, with various diseases disguised as vaccinations to study the effects of untreated uh, uh, venereal diseases, and those deliberate methods happened uh, through you know, rape, infected clothing, infected supplies, uh, you know, they um, it just went all out, you know, no, nothing was off limits seemingly uh, during this uh, unit 731 experiments, just, you know, they, they, they're ours to play with, and that, that's just so horrible to think. Uh, uh, as unit 731 was one of several units unfortunately you know so there were experiments also conducted uh, at units uh, numbered uh, 1644 and 100 that also researched and developed um, just like 731 did uh, they developed the deployment of uh, epidemic creating bio warfare weapons and these were tested on the Chinese populace unfortunately because you got to test it practically I suppose and then you get the innocent roped in again um, both military and civilians were victims of this during World War II they bred uh, plague infested fleas in the labor uh, laboratories and spread them through low flying airplanes in cities such as Ningbo in 1940 and Changde in Hunan province in 1941 Thousands of people died in these kind of attacks, and um, human targets were also used to test grenades, flamethrowers, and people were also tied to stakes and used as targets to test germ-releasing bombs and chemical weapons. Uh, 
as well as other tests um, uh, other tests also included depriving prisoners of food and water to determine the length of time until death, uh, placing them in high pressure chambers until death, x-ray exposure, premature burial, you know, this is just a top of it. everything, you know, everything they can think of. You know. The movie even in in the cat scene that we'll talk of, that seems like a point where they're it's so uh, far fetched what the point is they're trying to make with their experiments. It's at one point it just seemed like I feel like doing this right now, you know, chuck a cat in there. And there, what does that prove? There was another uh, quote like that. Uh, I'm looking at it right now. Like they are read uh, in doing the research for this and everything. There's another quote I read from someone. I'm not sure who, but it's uh, guy says I cut him open from the chest to the stomach, and he screamed terribly, and his oh. face was all twisted in agony. He made this unimaginable sound. He was screaming so horribly, but then finally he stopped. This was all in a day's work for the surgeons, but it really left an impression on me because it was my first time. So not even sedated like they do with the boy in the film? They, yeah, just, uh, just some guy, throw him on the table, probably strapped his arms down and maybe the uh, uh, shoulders or something like that, so he probably couldn't move. Hmm. That's pretty awful. Yeah. And, I mean, reasons behind so much of this stuff and like this inhumanity and things like that it just comes from like racial and moral propaganda that began long before the second world war uh, reading up a bit on this it, it has traces back to like the end of the samurai class when ronin were kind of developing and things like that but it really started to pick up in the late 1800s with like Japanese militarization um there was a code of ethics put into action through a paper called the Imperial uh, Rescript to Soldiers and so uh, Sailors around the time that I believe that was in the early well late 1800s, early 1900s uh, around the time uh, that this was wrote this is basically where the Emperor of Japan essentially made the military his own and mm. uh, the Rescript called for undying loyalty to the Emperor it called for soldiers to refrain from keeping up with politics and all these basic things that you would normally do, just keep your mind on defending the emperor. That was basically all there was to life only, knowledge. Only one viewpoint, kind of, and not right. being welcome to, like, study what the opposite viewpoints were like, because the mm -hmm. emperor certainly, like, sounded like, well, the opposite viewpoint is wrong, just listen to me. Right. And, like, it eventually it gets to the point where, like, no one's allowed to say anything, you know, not just the military. And, uh, basic propaganda lead up to the Second World War, things just escalated, you know. There had been mm -hmm. a coup d'etat uh, attempted on the emperor at some point, and uh, this was in the 30s, I believe, or late 20s, and uh, that just kind of caused even more of a shutdown on, you know, any interest in democracy that was growing and things like that, and it just became more about the emperor as God, you know, powers... Um, and they moved into that ultra-nationalist uh, viewpoint and things like that. And, like, patriotic education became the norm. So kids were brought up from an early age and believing all this stuff about J Japan's divine right to lead and unify Asia. Mm -hmm. And, uh... Yeah. And it's certainly what you see in the movie with the youth core along those right. um, there because they're, they're certainly um, you know their their minds are imprinted with one thinking alone that uh, you know we good them bad and right. therefore we bad against them a lot. 
right you know because it is simplified so simplified and so like the you know it's uh, i don't know i don't know how to describe it it's really uh, i i find it tough to see um anyone that can't present his or herself with uh opposite viewpoint uh, when they're kind of uh, you know inducted in something that they have no say in i i, I find that the hardest to watch really um uh, the, the movie, as we'll talk of, isn't totally devoid of humanity. Though it's right. uh, it's uh, it will be a good point to bring up later. Uh, Unit Seven Three One was a big facility, uh, covering six square kilometers and consisting of more than one hundred and fifty buildings. And by design, they were hard were very hard to destroy via bomb raids. Uh, the complex contained various factories, had about 4,500 containers used to raise fleas, six cauldrons to produce various chemicals, and around 1,800 containers to produce biological agents. Approximately 30 kilograms of uh, bubonic plague bacteria could be produced in several days. I mean, in the movie, they say at one point, we have so much we can destroy the entire world, which yeah. seems true and exaggerated at the same time. It's like it's it's never ending. They, they produce it for mul- you know multiple planets. It seems like, <laughs> it's like exporting it to Mars. Yeah, it's it's so insane. Like en- enough is not enough. You know. Right. Um, a portion has been preserved of uh, the facility and is open to visitors as a war crimes uh, museum. Uh, but it all did come to an end of sorts. Uh, it has to make clear and. Uh, and because when the war ended, Unit Seven Three One had to be shut down and was disbanded and all of that, so uh, we'll talk a little bit more about how Japan has uh, responded, you know, um, to uh, and then their admission of what happened at Unit Seven Three One, or rather their non-admission. Uh, as far as I know, the Japanese government has never officially acknowledged the existence of Seven Three One, but even if they have, they've never officially said. Um, apologize for right. war crimes committed because uh, no one can really prove anything in their eyes. Right. Like, I was uh, even reading a bit about this, and uh, even as late as like 2002, they had uh, a soldier came out and confessed in court, uh, you know, on the stand, and uh, basically that led to uh, an acknowledgement by the Tokyo District Court that, you know, there was brutal and inhumane treatment at Unit 731, but, you know, that's just one court that's not the whole country, and, mm-hmm. you know, I believe uh, Prime Minister, one of the Prime Ministers, as of a couple of years ago, even, was kind of, like, you know, shaky on it, like, you know, well, there's not a whole lot of proof, you know? <laughs> I mean, yeah, pr- proof is needed, but Japanese, the Japanese, if you read this uh, history, it comes out as we need not 100% proof, but about 200 or 2,000% proof. Yeah, if you could just, uh, if you could take a time machine and travel back in time with an HD camera... We'll consider it. We'll, cons- we'll think about it, you know? So, so uh, I mean, yeah, if it's not documented well enough, like, uh, obviously what the Nazis did uh, towards uh, Jewish, um, yeah. then, then it is hard, but uh, it's a tough... Uh, I, I don't think it's going to change a whole lot over over time. Uh, Unit Seven Three One is very known; it's very well documented. But in the eyes of the Japanese, they're they're um, they're acknowledging it, but um, I don't think they're ever going to sit down and really like lay the cards on the table. Right. No. So what brought down this particular unit and many units? Then, well, at the end of the, the war in 1945, Russian forces invaded Manchukuo and uh, Mengjiang in uh, in August of 1945 and uh, the workers and their families at the unit uh, had to flee back to Japan and abandon their work 
General Shiro Ishii ordered everyone to take uh, the secret research and what they've seen to the grave and threatened them that if not, if they spill the beans, he would personally make sure they never work again in Japan. I think he literally will make sure they die. You know? yeah, <laughs> so, uh, for the personnel that would uh, possibly be captured, because uh, if you believe the movie that they left in a hurry, you know, because uh, things escalated pretty quickly as soon as the bombs dropped, uh, then uh, they had to shut down and quick. Uh, but uh, for the possible uh, capture of for uh, certain crew that were left, uh, potassium cyanide vials were distributed so they could uh, presumably uh, kill themselves and kill themselves immediately. Uh, crews of Ishis uh, blew up the compound in the final days of World War Two, but uh, World War Two. But again, not as much evidence was destroyed as they'd like because the buildings were made to last uh, and withstand like bombing and such an attack. So you know, n- not to be funny or anything, but that was a little dough moment right there. You know, blow it all up. Well, shit. We're too. We, we've designed it too well. <laughs> so, uh, so, so they had. You know, obviously, struct uh, structures still stand, and obviously, so, some things could be recovered from um, in the wake of uh, them leaving the site and all of that. Uh, after Japan's surrender in 1945, uh, Douglas MacArthur became the supreme commander of the Allied forces and responsible to rebuild Japan during the Allied occupation. What MacArthur reportedly also did, I, th- I think this is pretty well confirmed, uh, what he did was to secretly grant immunity to physicians at Unit 731, including their leader, Ishii, uh, in exchange for providing America, but not the Allied countries, with research data on biological warfare. Uh, when it came to putting uh, the responsible on trial. There were a few examples, you know. Thankfully, so someone to uh, someone made them uh, answer to their crimes. The Tokyo War Crimes Tribunal had mentions of the Japanese experiments with uh, poisonous uh, serums on serums on Chinese civilians in uh, sessions taking place in August 1946. Uh, this was all instigated by a David Sutton assistant to the Chinese prosecutor. But the Japanese defense argued argued that the claim was vague unconfirmed and ultimately the charge was dismissed by the tribunal president sir william webb for lack of evidence and no further pursuit was done by sutton and it's really believed that he wasn't really aware of unit 731's activities as such and has stumbled upon this uh, incident where with attacks on chinese civilians uh, by accident uh, not exactly like the nuremberg of japan you know mm. what I'm it's uh it's a real shame, and uh, what kills me about the whole situation is that, I, you know, even though you know all this was done, you know, okay, we, we have to have this information, we have to have this stuff. I, you know, I've never seen anyone who's able to like point me to exactly what their findings, what kind of, what the results were that you know were so necessary, and what you know needed to be known to give these men immunity. You know what I'm saying? Like the, mm. the only progress it seems was maybe biological warfare mm. which is something that the world doesn't want or need you mm. know sure so basically just you know letting them go without any kind of reprisal for information that you're probably not going to ever put to use hopefully mm. you know it's terrible certainly nothing in my biology book any <laughs> reference to findings from unit 731 yeah, it goes along the theme that this was so rabid, this research, and after a while it was just about, uh, how do we win? Uh, well, we'll create right. some nasty shit. 
and right. so you know no you know no again not to say that any human experimentation they ever planned to do was going to be valid but if you believe the movie there is just so win 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 right we right. <laughs> no uh, and and it really it's it goes in line with that like propaganda and uh, nationalist thinking uh, that that you talked about so um, that, that that makes it all the more disturbing and all the more uh, callous and evil obviously uh, the Soviet Union prosecuted tw- prosecuted 12 top military leaders among them General Ototsu Yamada the commander in chief of the million man Kwantung army occupying Manchuria that um, was renamed as uh, Manchuko uh, at the time and scientists from uh, unit 731 and other biological war prisons uh, 1644 and unit 100 as I said were uh, part of this uh, war crime trials at uh, Kaparovsk uh, so uh, it was held in uh, December in 1949 by the Soviet Union these proceedings led to doctors and army commanders at unit 731 receiving sentences ranging from 2 to 25 years in Siberian labor camps uh, the American side refused to acknowledge uh, those trials and this trial, branding them as communist propaganda. And uh, n- not that it's similar or ironic or anything, but uh, after World War Two, it was reported that the Soviet Union built a biological weapons facility uh, in Sverdlovsk using documentation captured from U- Unit Seven Three One. So. You know, a bit of a hypocrisy if you just read that going on. You know, there's so there's always going to be, you know, condemn it, but um, we'll, we'll keep it. Let's get we'll, it on our side. Yeah, you know, which was probably you know to be simplified about it, something that uh, the American side wanted to make mm. sure uh, because it didn't come off as them wanted to protect and make sure this info never landed in the wrong hands uh, by granting Ishii immunities. Just comes off as well that might be useful, you know. Yeah. Um, not that they've used it uh, as, you know, as far as I know, and uh, hopefully, hopefully, as you said, never will. But uh, it's uh, it's it's uh, it doesn't ring very like um, of few. You you don't sigh, you don't uh, yeah. breathe a sigh of relief when they granted him immunity and captured the research uh, as such. It uh, you get a little bit uh, uncomfortable when it's uh, furthered and continued in some way. Right. Uh, as far as being a topic and of debate and discussion in Japan post-war, uh, vo- voices began to be heard uh, in the 1950s after the end of the American occupation of Japan. It came to light in 1952 uh, that human experiments were performed in the Nagoya City Pediatric Hospital that resulted in one death and this was publicly, publicly tied to former members of Unit 731. Uh, several authors published books on the subject, like uh, Shusaka Endo's *The Sea and Poison*, uh, more, more of a book on that topic rather than a history of the crime at Unit Seven Three One, I should state. But author uh, Morimura Seichi's two books in the early eighties, called *The Devil's Gluttony* and *The Devil's Gluttony*, a sequel, was reportedly containing the true story of operations of Unit Seven Three One. But it came to light that the author was mixing up uh, 731 and that unit's uh, experimentation with unit 100 uh, and it also featured apparently unrelated photos that connected um, the imagery to unit 731 and therefore questions were raised about the accuracy of the works which is fair enough uh, you know if you're going to present something then, then be as accurate as you can uh, so um 
1981 came the first direct testimony or testimony of human vivisection in China by a man called uh, Ken uh, Yuasa that we uh, quoted earlier. And since then, many more lengthy testimonies have appeared in Japanese as well as in uh, documentary form, uh, in, among other places. Uh, in 2001's Japanese Devils a documentary I'm actually keen to watch uh, featuring interviews with uh, 40 members of Unit 731 who were former um, uh, f- former Chinese prisoners for instance I'm, I'm reading that uh, I'm reading that uh, in my outline like featuring interviews with 40 members of uh, 731 who were former uh, Chinese prisoners so maybe they were or maybe I've just mm-hmm. messed up my uh, my outline. But regardless, watch Japanese Devils. It sounded actually interesting. So, uh, with the testimony coming to light and the more information and facts and all of that, let's go back to the official government response in Japan. Uh, again, as far as I know, in 2014, officially they haven't apologized for the war crimes committed at these various units, uh, because specific apologies requires substantial facts and evidence. Fair enough. And unfortunately, the events at Unit 731 are not documented well enough uh, in the eyes of the Japanese. So, you know, you have to, they want to make a 100% determination, which is fair enough, but it just seemed like uh, it is a subject that they'd rather not bring up at all, you know. Um, right. I mean, if they wanted to pursue it, you know, they still are, you know, they're pretty close with America, you know what I'm saying? And uh, obviously there's uh, some filed away information on what Ishii did, you know what mm-hmm. I'm saying? Yeah. Like, they could pursue that, but obviously they don't want to, you know, I wouldn't think. It, it doesn't seem like it. it doesn't come off as that, yeah. Uh, I mean, we, we we know all of it. They, f- thankfully, there's not like this uh, movement of Unit 731 deniers or anything. It just seemed like, yeah, it, 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 it did happen, but... Uh, um, prove it. <laughs> yeah, prove it and talk about it if you like, but we don't want to be fully involved as such. Um, Japanese textbooks often contains um, uh, references to Unit 731 indeed, but nothing damning. Uh, nothing that accuses anyone specifically, again, evidence. Uh, uh, Saburo uh, Ienagas, the new history of Japan, did include a detailed description, uh, description of it all. Uh, it's this uh, older uh, history book, uh, which was based on an officer's testimony. This was uh, The book was published in 1952. But the Minister of Education rejected this passage, as far as I know, and fully removed it. Uh, again, they, too vague, and that doesn't prove anything, uh, which is a shame. Uh, however, as late as 1997, the Supreme Court of Japan ruled the testimony in that book uh, that was originally uh, going to be put in that book was indeed sufficient, and the removal was an alle- illegal violation of freedom of speech. Uh, furthermore, in 1997, the international lawyer uh, Conan uh, Chuchia filed a class action suit against the Japanese government uh, demanding reparations for the actions of Unit 731 on the basis of evidence filed by uh, Riku University professor Makoto Ueda. Again, this was dismissed and claimed to be baseless as no findings of fact were made about the existence of human experimentation, according to who, uh, whoever made that, um, made that um, sum- summary and determination. Uh, in October of 2003, the Prime Minister of Japan did respond to an inquiry from a member of the House of Representatives of Japan, saying that while the government government do not possess any records related to Unit 731, they do recognize the gravity of the matter and will make public any records that are located in the future. Which brings no hope to anyone, really. It's a, no. it's a, it's a standardized response. 
so uh, it's not a huge turnaround or anything. Uh, books followed, as well as um, documentaries, as we said, movies. Uh, there's references in songs and, t- and TV shows about uh, Unit 731, uh, most notably again in uh, Moo Toon Face, uh, 1988 Hong Kong movie Man Behind the Sun, we're talking of this episode. Uh, the Russian film Philosophy of a Knife was made in 19... Uh, I, I'm, I'm reading 1988, wasn't it? 1998, as a matter of fact. Uh, uh, Philosophy of a Knife, just, uh, let's just check that live. Uh, uh, live here because I think it was, uh, it was 2008 for heaven's sake 2008 was Philosopher yeah. of a Knife uh, Joshua is here to tell us about that, that movie shortly uh, furthermore James Hong produced a 2007 documentary told from the Chinese and Japanese sites called Two Versions of Hell the fresh metal band Slayer and Iron Maiden singer Bruce Dickinson has written songs about uh, Unit 731 uh, I think uh, it's a part of Bruce Dickinson's uh, solo career rather than an Iron Maiden song and uh, the classic TV show The X-Files uh, had an episode called 731 that was a reference to the unit and the plot if I'm not mistaken was about former members con- uh, conducting experiments still uh, but it's been a long time since I watched uh, The X-Files so I don't remember that particular plot but Philosophy of a Knife Joshua I didn't want to watch this movie and I think you can tell us pretty much why it's not just due to length that uh, it was okay to avoid watching Philosophy of a Knife as a research so uh, t- tell us about it uh, it's okay. <laughs> Length is, you know, good enough reason not to watch it. But uh, you know, aside from Men Behind the Sun, it would seem that Philosophy of Knife is the other big extreme movie dealing with this subject matter. And uh, there are numerous documentaries that are out now and everything like that. Uh, but Philosophy of Knife tries to be a combination of both uh, fictionalized work as well as a documentary. It's uh, directed by Russian filmmaker Andrei Iskanov. Uh, he directed, I believe, Nails and uh, a couple of other, like, kind of well-known-ish cult films. Mm-hmm. And uh, the movie features at least, like, one interview subject, I believe, like a, a gentleman, jab, uh, an interpreter or something like that. I forget mm-hmm. exactly what his role is. But uh, and there's a, some historical narration and a lot of you know fictionalized recreations. Um, most notable about these recreations is the fact that the filmmaker had very few Asian actors cast in the movie, due to its low budget nature and according to the filmmaker, like the strong feelings that many Chinese or Asians have towards Unit 731. But uh, I would say that's probably more bupkis and it's more really dealing with uh, the budgetary restraints on mm. the film than anything sure. so a lot of blonde haired girls being tortured throughout the movie Yeah. Um, regardless the movie definitely takes an interesting note route in telling its story it is around four hours in length a little bit over that that, 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 that that's like a mini series or a documentary series length you, you, don't, right. you don't do a feature length normally for four hours unless you're Peter Jackson I suppose <laughs> you know, it's it's basically broken into two parts, each one like two hours long. You know, a little bit over two hours a piece, mm. and uh, it's filled with disturbing content for sure. And it tries to be really artistic, tries to be an artistic achievement. Uh, contains lots of industrial sounding music, uh, fake film scratches over the video, which is kind of getting really cheesy mm. in retrospect and like it's just incredibly dark and it's in black and white and uh, you know it's enough the aesthetic of it is almost enough to make most audience members kind of like sick mm. you know and uh, 
unfortunately, due to how hard it tries to be, you know, quote-unquote artistic, the movie just doesn't really succeed. You know, it tries to be this, but ultimately comes off as, like, being very pretentious. Mm. And uh, in a movie this long, there's there needn't be so many scenes of just, like, the camera settling upon rustling leaves out in the snow. Oh, you told me there were minute-long takes of crap like that. There is. <laughs> I mean, so, come on. I remember, that doesn't mean anything. That doesn't I mean... Res- fuck all. You know, it, I, like, I, I like the aesthetic that you described, like the, the black and right. white like st- uh, photography and uh, the uh, grainy uh, made-to-look-old kind of photography can be so goddamn disturbing and scary, but, you know, leaves. Yeah. They're, they're... <laughs> the, the... It is quite something to look at, and, it, you know, I, I can't take that away from the film. I think that it, it had the potential to be something kind of powerful. You know, it, I don't even look down on the fact that okay, they couldn't get Asian actors. It's still no. an ambitious project. Unfortunately, it could have used a serious editor and somebody who was in there going, you know, how, you know, let's, let's not try to make this something it, it isn't. You know, let's try to do something original, but at the same time try to streamline it a little bit. But mm-hmm. instead, yeah, I mean, you will find yourself fast forwarding through two and three minutes worth of just nothing happening on screen. Good, no. um, good special effects and uh, and uh, well executed like um, visions of the experiments that went on. Yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, do they it's do it like disturbing. a pressure chamber thing in this movie as well? Yes, I believe, and it shows uh, someone's face like imploding. Hmm. It's right. pretty, uh, pretty graphic, you know, for sure. It was considered the reason I had found the film back in the day in two thousand eight or nine or whenever. I guess it first hit the U.S. DVD. Uh, I had seen it because it was listed on, like, top ten disturbing movies or something. Because <laughs> it's <message>. long. <laughs> right. <laughs> like the fine print. <laughs> right, yeah. But, uh, no, it's, it's pretty pretty harrowing stuff for sure. But, you know, compared to Men Behind the Sun, it is just, it's just not as streamlined, not as well-made, doesn't really... I think have the heart or the uh, the energy that that film does. So mm. yeah, if you want to get an image and view of the tale, if you will, then a right. documentary is suited as well. I mean, and if you're interested in right. in the footage, then I suppose it is okay to to go through it um, and and see parts of it if you're interested in special, effect, special effects, for instance. Yeah, like currently. Uh, the film is in full on YouTube right now, and I'm not entirely sure if that's just you know somebody putting it up there, or if it's maybe an official thing or not. But uh, you know, I did see that on Wikipedia, it's actually mentioned that it's in full on YouTube. So maybe you know, I would hope that they're not just not allowing people to go on there and be like, "Go watch it; it's on YouTube, dude." Mm. You know, so. Yeah, maybe the company put out the US DVD. Uh, maybe it's on their channel or, or something uh, like that. It wasn't on Unearthed. Uh, it channel. is Unearthed. Okay. Good. Yeah, it wasn't on their channel, but it's on. It seemed like a personal account, but it could be something. It could be a personal account for somebody who owns the rights. I, I have no right. idea. Uh, okay, and uh, as far as I know, that is where we stand on the old Unit Seven Three One is history up until today. It's uh, it's one of many heard and unheard examples of human evil in the name of uh, warfare and again I can't see any rational reasoning for 
wanting to research and prepare yourself this hard for uh, warfare. It's, uh, it's, uh, it blows my mind how uh, ill-conceived this all uh, seems. You know, mm-hmm. uh, that's all I can say at this point. It's uh, uh, it's tough, really yeah. tough, and uh, but but it deserves to be uh, you know uh, mentioned and examined through through you know hopefully uh, trials and testimony and documentaries and in this case uh, f- the films have uh, especially Men Behind the Sun I think has a very valid place in terms of uh, showing viewers um, in a streamlined way yeah what went on you know a glimpse of what went on because uh, uh, this is this is not all this is not all yeah. at all I'm sure we'll get into it but I mean if you want to say one thing about uh, Men Behind the Sun's fact that it has pointed people to Unit 731 you know I think so yeah I mean there is obviously the audience that looks for fucked up movies I know that and even Moo Toon Fei you know obviously admits that I know it has that reputation and I'm not going to condemn you for being uh, be the viewer you are or anything uh, so um, right. uh, it, it has this uh, hilariously dumb cover on the world video US DVD where it says you know in the traditional faces of death oh god which <laughs> I, yeah I know where you got that from but that is far fetched in terms of how you're gonna sell it uh, because yeah. it's not a um, faces of death type of uh, structure and design to it all uh, if you know faces of death uh, I uh, so, so there you go. But we'll get to availability so, uh, later. But the next subject is the director of uh, Men Behind the Sun, uh, Mu Tunfei. Uh, born in 1941 in Shandong, China. His uh, family left uh, for Taiwan in 1949. And it's there he graduated from a state-run film school that couldn't even afford film equipment for its students. So Mu and his friends had to study film theory mostly by going to the cinema and studying the same films over and over and over and over and over again. Which is kind of practical in a way, yeah, so yeah. I, I don't blame him for that. And so uh, Tarantino did it. Yep, uh, definitely. And I mean, he, he came off knowing a film, Mouton uh, Fei, and the made movies, obviously. And in a 1999 interview published on horshamp.qc.ca, it's an interview we'll link to, uh, Mu recalls his uh, film stu- study. So, quote, Yes, it wasn't much in the way of fun. We could only learn by watching films at the cinema and discuss them. We would buy one ticket, take our lunch boxes, and watch the same film about eight times in a day. Then in the evening, uh, we would buy the projectionist a pack of cigarettes and ask him if we, uh, we could borrow a copy of the film. Uh, he would probably lend us one reel, and we would hold the film up to light and study it frame by frame. So they couldn't play it at home, obviously. They, they just had to look at it. That's how we learned to edit and time film. But remember, we had no editing equipment. Uh, by the end, I could tell professors of film how many edits and uh, c- uh, cuts a movie would have by sheer memory. Uh, most editors would uh, uh, then would count cuts by using matches. I would watch a film more than 30 times if I felt it was necessary, and uh, he learned that way. Which is a practical way of thinking, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, it said he was assistant director on an anti-communist propaganda film called Give Back My Country in uh, Taiwan. And uh, he directed in Taiwan uh, a few films uh, before starting at Shaw Brothers. But there's no database entries for some of these. Uh, uh, so we're, we're talking lost films here. But uh, J.L. Uh, Carozza's documentary Black Sunshine, Conversations with uh, T.F. Mu which is this uh, excellent chat with the director uh, that is on uh, YouTube uh, and that's on the director's own account 
uh, so we'll, we'll link to that detail uh, uh, that detailed documentary and uh, that documentary talks of his early Taiwan work um, that is lost and among other things two black and white movies that the government and censors didn't like due to them determining that they had inappropriate social commentary uh, although Mu thinks they didn't put anything that noteworthy critique wise in them but that's what uh, that's what the government organs uh, did uh, do to his movie I Didn't Dare Tell You as well as the movie At the Runway's End both were actually black and white uh, movies uh, Mu served as an assistant director furthermore for veteran t- for Taiwan filmmaker Pai Jingjui uh, I've only seen one of his movies, I'm, so I'm sure he's famous and all of that, but I only saw his very first movie, uh, Fireballs, which uh, was this epic historical war movie that he was one of three directors on. It was made in 1966, so I'm not sure if uh, Mu was actually assistant director on that, but probably uh, on movies later on in Pai's career. But that's his uh, apprenticeship, if you will. Uh, he actually uh, started traveling ex- extensively around the world at this point and even tried to get um, in the 70s and tried to get uh, a movie made in Bolivia when he came there uh, based on the sights and sound he saw and he got inspired but uh, there was no way to get a project off the ground in a really non-existing movie industry in Bolivia but that, that's the kind of guy he seemed to be like I'm inspired I want to do something let's just try and ride that whimsy as uh, much as we can you know but uh, Mu did return to Hong Kong at the end of the 70s and they, it was clear he had enough traction and reputation and skill as a filmmaker because he was asked by Shaw Brothers to join and uh, his debut was this um, he directed one of the segments in The Teenager's Nightmares, uh, Nightmare uh, also known as The Criminals 5 The Teenager's Nightmare they, it contained often uh, uh, short stories based on real crime and uh, Mu directed uh, the short movie Gun uh, which uh, opens the film uh, really an effective 30 minute short of uh, two um, teenagers although they're played by veteran Shaw Brothers uh, actors so they're more in their 20s uh, but they, they find a gun and then it escalates from there uh, so it's, a, it's an effective little uh, little true crime thing uh, he also directed uh, Bank Buster which is a lost Shaw Brothers movie or never really never released by Celestial on VCD or DVD to the best of my knowledge which is a shame because Moose says he was very pleased with how Bank Buster came, uh, uh, came out and turned out uh, I think it was about essentially uh, mainland immigrants uh, uh, performing robberies in Hong Kong and what have you and uh, uh, injecting some social commentary in there but his first sign of you know really vocal social commentary that uh, we have seen and uh, got made and all of that was the harsh immigrant human trafficking sexual degradation torture drama lost souls from 1980 and uh, it's uh, it's a movie that was green lit without a script actually and uh, he you know, go on and make it that's fine so he took a lot of non-actors some veterans and made this really harsh movie that created ripples i mean i think it was seen fairly complete it wasn't cut to shreds uh, but I don't think Run Run Shaw necessarily expected something as harsh as that. It's not what you expect out of Shaw Brothers at all, really. Uh, it's a pretty uh, pretty nasty exploitation movie. Uh, his uh, last and seventh movie for Shaw Brothers that he worked on was this uh, uh, comedy, I think. Uh, uh, it's also unreleased. They're called One Son Too Many. Uh, but he uh, he left Shaw Brothers and he says in the documentary mood that he felt too comfortable at Shaw Brothers and the studio was more about marketing than making different and challenging movies so he thought he wanted to get out and um, 
and uh, do something that meant a lot more uh, to him, if you will. Uh, so this was followed by uh, a mainland China stunt, uh, stint, rather, as he made the children's kung fu movie called Young Heroes. And uh, it was said during the making of this that he that he began to hear stories of Unit 731, and uh, his research kind of began at that point. But he said he started researching it the year before, maybe not with a movie in mind though at that point uh, but uh, what he heard during the making of Young Heroes was um, something that affected him to the point where he wanted to make a movie about it uh, he, he kind of pondered making a documentary which is uh, a natural instinct but uh, uh, research was really uh, research was really triggered uh, the subject struck Mu and uh, he, he kind of could find a lot of factual evidence uh, eventually they were at his disposal uh, the, the longer he um, made the research I mean this is years long uh, years long research and uh, eventually he went into making a feature drama about uh, what he did know uh, found, found and had heard and uh, some quotes again from that said interview from uh, Mu um, about uh, how it kind of came together man behind your son quote my first impressions uh, was to make the film as a serious documentary but later I found that it was impossible as the Japanese army had destroyed most of the damning evidence Therefore, it was impossible to make a documentary as there was no material to use. And the note, uh, I don't remember if it was the interview note or my note, but regardless, uh, the Japanese scientists filmed the human experiments and the footage was shipped back to Japan for medical study. But it is doubtful if this footage is existence and all of that. So, uh, But Mu did obtain actually Russian documents as part of his uh, research. Uh, as well as some archival material from Japan and uh, America that fill some gaps in in terms of uh, compiling the research and trying to base it all on uh, on reality effects uh, rather than making uh, making it a, a, an entire dramatic story from scratch. But furthermore, his quote uh, from uh, from Mu, also no one wanted to give me money to produce the film as they found the subject matter to be a political hot potato. And uh, yeah, I, I can imagine that being the case. Uh, but it did went into production, a six-month shoot in Manchuria, including scenes in front of the real Unit 731 building, which at the time was a high school. But they, they changed it up, obviously, to fit the, uh, uh, fit the period. And uh, there was a funny story where one of the maybe teachers or staff at the school arrived and saw that it had changed back to, like, Japanese-looking. <laughs> kind of being shocked, oh no, they're back. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. I mean, it's ingrained in their kind of souls, I suppose. So you, you do get shocked, I think, at the sight of um, something as simple as changing the flag. Because I don't think they repainted the school or anything. Yeah. Um, so uh, this was a mainland and Hong Kong co-production. But the, most of the actors seem to be mainland Chinese or Taiwanese. Uh, there's no Hong Kong talent on board. I mean, uh, no, no recognizable at all. I mean, it's a, on the fringe kind of thing. And the Moo speaks of his mainland producer... Quote, I think he produced the film due to personal reasons. He grew up in northern China and the Japanese experiments were well known in that country. And furthermore, uh, Mu and the cast. So, 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 yeah, so we had produ uh, production support, we had producing support, which, which was really good. He was not alone in trying to make the movie. Uh, on the cast, uh, quote, the majority of the cast were non-actors who spoke Japanese on set which is an odd piece of dedication, actually, because it's a Mandarin-dubbed movie. But uh, uh, that was all mixed with a few amateurs and uh, select uh, stage actors who took the lead roles. And uh, 
So after this one, Namu had more war atrocities, war atrocities on his mind. But uh, so we jump ahead to the mid nineties. Uh, but he did co-direct, uncredited, the hardcore pornography, pornography film Trilogy of Lust, uh, starring and directed by Julie Lee in 1995. Uh, this was released as a severely edited Category 3 film as well, but uh, it was actually originally shot with uh, hardcore pornography scenes. Uh, I'm not 100% sure Mu directed any of those, uh, but uh, I'm sure he helped out um, you know, to make the movie... A narrative, you know, that they, they probably complimented themselves uh, themselves in that regard. Julie wanted the sex, and Moo was there to kind of tie the narrative together, I suppose. Uh, but in 1995, he made his uh, second uh, war drama that he wanted to make, and it's called Black Sun, the Nanking Massacre. And it's a movie we will cover, as we said. Uh, it is, as expected, based on the 1937 Nanjing Massacre, or Rape of Nanking. Uh, essentially an act of mass murder and rape committed by Japanese troops against Nanking in 1937, starting in December, uh, when the forces captured that uh, very city. And uh, Mu actually wants to close out, he said that for a number of years and maybe still do, uh, wants to close out this uh, trilogy that either he dubbed or has been dubbed the Black Sun Trilogy, with a project called No More War, but at this time and that has not gone to, into production due to lack of uh, financing. Uh, so uh, that's that. Uh, back a little to Men Behind the Sun. I, I don't know if Moose claims that over 10 people died of heart attacks in mainland cinemas watching the movie is true. Uh, <laughs> but the following story from the interview I can very much uh, believe. So, quote, when they screened the film, the Chinese authorities, and again, this is Men Behind the Sun and not Black Sun, uh, the Chinese authorities gave no warning to the audience. Also, there was no advertising campaign, no posters. The film itself had no credits. It's a very short credits sequence, but essentially there's no credits. Uh, people had no idea what they were about to see. Uh, they just walk into the cinema and see a film, and they were very shocked. Uh, in China, they are not used to seeing films like Men Behind the Sun. They have been brought up on Kung Fu and propaganda. So, end quote in that regard. Um, a little bit more on the pre-production of the film and how Mu got it approved to go, to go into production at all by the Chinese government because he had to have it approved. Quote, I had completed the research, wrote the script. My note is actually that the final credits has three other writers, none of which is uh, Mu. So um, I don't know uh, how that essentially works. It was interesting because the lower levels of the government said that we could not make such a film. And so I went right to the top and asked the general secretary who gave me the green light. The other officials were outraged, saying that we could not make Men Behind the Sun in China because it would damage political relations with the Japanese. And they were re very worried about losing money and electronic goods from Japan, as well as hurting China's relationship with um, their neighboring country. Uh, there were all kinds of reasons, but uh, I couldn't care less about China's friendship with Japan. I wanted to talk about the past. End quote. Good, good, good man. Good on the man. Uh, on the reaction in Japan, again, quote, the Japanese actually bought the copyright for their territory and screened the film only once. The distributors received a phone call from a right-wing party saying that if they play the film one more time, we will burn down all your cinemas. When I, when I was there in Tokyo, they said to me that I had to leave Japan immediately or I would be shot. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's touchy, you know, very yeah. touchy. Uh, furthermore, before we are into the review, uh, on the experiments at Unit 731 and Moose take on the human vivisection, 
I believe that the Japanese experiments in Camp 731 got out of control and had nothing to do with scientific research. I have read books that state the victims were cut open for examination without anesthetic. However, I don't think that can be true as the doctors could not work on a fully conscious human as they would be moving. I believe that the victims were put to sleep and then cut up. The Japanese did this to a lot of people at Camp 731." Uh, um, end quote. I, th I think it's a mixture based on the stories that we already talked about, Joshua, that they just strapped someone down and uh, just cut him open while screaming, and uh, and so or, or sedated uh, sedated victims. So maybe they didn't stay sedated for as long as uh, the surgery I read, required. I had read a quote from uh, Ishii, uh, I believe it was, who uh, did answer a question about uh, you know supposedly not putting the people under or something and he supposedly said he did it because he didn't want the organs to be uh, he wanted everything to be as it would be normally you know, yeah. so he didn't want uh, blood vessels or anything like that to be doing anything out of the ordinary so hmm. you know, I'm not sure if that's just referring to like high you know, anesthetic or whatever, if it's referring to be them being conscious versus unconscious. Mm. It's a, it's a, I, I, I guess as fresh as normal in frequency as possible was their kind of gain right. that they wanted to, the, the organs to be harvested that way, if you will. Yeah. Uh, and finally, on the plot outline of his unmade, uh, close, uh, closing a movie of the trilogy, No More War, it's a very simple story of children who are caught up in the Japanese retreat from Manchuria in 1941. Civilians seek revenge on the Japanese soldiers and start to kill them and each other. Once most of the adults are dead, the children begin to kill too. A very sad story. End quote. Not a, not, not a bad um, plot outline to kind of um, study yeah. the subsequent effects on 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 what was left, in a way. You know. I'd watch that movie. Sure, sure. And uh, I mean, he's still alive, obviously. Mutonfei, I think he's in his 60s, uh, what have you, so... Maybe it'll happen, maybe not. He hasn't made a movie since 1995, so he's, um, he's uh, retired in that way, if you will. Uh, but uh, let's take a short break, and then we'll be back to talk uh, specifically uh, about our views uh, of Men Behind the Sun. So sit tight, and we'll be back. Welcome back and let's uh, review Men Behind the Sun finally and I've been talking for so long so I'll, I'm gonna let Joshua start with his uh, uh, short opinion first of all so what did you think of Men Behind the Sun and do you have a history with it in terms of having watched it before? Yes, yes. Uh, the first time I'd seen it uh, probably 10 years or better it's 2014 now so it probably was around 2003, 2004 mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it was during, like, my initial search for, like, extreme cinema, so I was kind of like one of the people you mentioned earlier, just looking for fucked up movies or whatever. Yeah. The, the people I condemned earlier. <laughs> right, yes, yes, yes. We look very much down on those types of people. We're, we're in it for the art, man. <laughs> yeah. but, uh, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm from the philosophy of a knife camp. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. But, uh, okay, sorry, go on. If the movie's not four hours long, I'm not watching it. Uh, 
back in those days, like I was just on a strict just search for anything messed up, you know, anything that pushed the limits. And Men Behind the Sun was one that always pops up. Yeah. So that was uh, pretty early on for me. Uh, my first watching of the film, uh, it was probably just because I was watching so much just messed up content at the time that it didn't really have a, any kind of profound effect on me. I just thought, well, it's another one down, you mm. know. Did you know uh, what he was uh, portraying historically? Uh, I, I mean, in the movie you kind of find out, so, but you didn't know beforehand yeah, what it was. Right. Yeah, I can't quite remember now, you know, because I've always been kind of a World War II buff to a mm. certain degree, so I have you know read certain things, uh, but I can't remember at the time, I can't remember if this was the movie that pointed me towards Unit 731 or if I'd already heard it. But I'm going to guess that I probably didn't, and this movie was the one that inspired me to do my initial research on it and everything. Mm. So, uh, you know, since then I've read quite a bit about it, and, you know, you read through those little articles and little message board postings with, you know, various messed up things that they supposedly did. But, uh, like, I was even just during the preparation for this, I Google searched Unit 731 and found some story about... Uh, you know, and it sounds made up to me where, like, someone was saying in a message board post that, you know, there's documented evidence that they cut open a Chinese person and then had, uh, you know, everyone at Unit 731 basically take a dump on their, on their chest you know, while they're cut open or whatever. And how and, practical is that? You yeah, know, like, just, everybody, everybody come around. Are you ready? Everybody has not, you're not crapped for a day? We're ready, boss. No, it's we've not. We've got tons of toilet paper here. All right, oh, we're ready to go. What a dumb thing to write. What a <laughs> fucking dumb thing. Disrespectful, too, for heaven's sake. I mean, right. they were cruel, but... Uh, yeah, yeah. Don't make, don't make a fucking cartoon out of it, for heaven's yes. sake. Uh, Even, you know, but there are stories like that and quite a number of them. But when you get it from the more respectful you know, resources and stuff, you can put a little bit more uh, faith in what they're saying. Hmm. And, uh, yeah, uh, my initial viewing of the film, I didn't really take a whole lot from it, but this revisit was definitely something that opened my eyes and caused me to look at the film in a totally different light. Mm-hmm. Therefore, uh, did you uh, gain a... Uh, uh, is it a positive uh, opinion of it? Therefore, Much in- more respect for it. Mm-hmm. Much more, you know. It's not just. It probably did drown in your. You probably did get desensitized to a point if you watched mm-hmm. a lot in like. I'm not saying you did it all in one week, but a certain period in your life, despite right. like you know, p- piling this under Cannibal Holocaust and five right. other fucked up movies with tons of animal cruelty and rape, and right. then like maybe they, yeah, the imprint isn't. Uh, I, f- I f- think that's logical that that can happen. That it's probably uh, between the years of 2001 to 2000 and. Five, you know, I, I went through, you know, Italian cannibal films, Italian, you know, slashers. Went through, uh, you know, full cheese filmography, Argento. I went through German splatter movies. You know, watching Primatus, Primatus de Gefallen Engel. Watching that with like no subtitles or anything like that, just to see the gore. Hmm. You know, so I was like a serious gore hound during that time, and just and also like you know, the guinea pig series and things like that, you know, all that stuff in, like, a three- or four-year period, you know? So, but, like, going back and watching it now, I can kind of, 
I've been desensitized to the point where I can see past that stuff. You know, there's more mm. to it than that. And uh, oh, definitely. Yes. I mean, I'll, I'll, I can probably we'll we'll save your some notes for for later on in the discussion, mm. and I'll uh, I'll just do my brief uh, opinion first. It's a uh, it's my first view. I, I've known of it, but I always wanted to. I'm surprised by that. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm. Uh, when I found Hong Kong cinema again, it didn't take long for me to start writing about it again. And I felt like probably that this is the movie where I, I wanted to do it justice in some way and go into it with uh, some background. Uh, maybe that's me imagining that I need to do way more work than um, is actually needed. But uh, it just uh, s- sometimes I, it just falls, the pieces fall into place this way. And, did you do uh, the research first or did you watch the film and do your research? No, I essentially did uh, the research first for this one, uh, all of the stuff that we already talked about, because uh, I thought that, um, yeah, I, I thought I wanted that background firmly before, you know, re- a lot in my sales, if you will, wind in my sales, before going into the movie. The movie, as it turns out, you know, gives you a, a decent overview of uh, what happened right. and all of that, uh, being partly documentary in style. And I think uh, having that, like, even during this rewatch, I had done, you know, my own research and everything like that, and I think that that contributed to having it fresh in my mind and having a broad overview of what happened and sure. seeing how the film kind of connects all these, you know different stories and stuff like that it, it definitely uh it helps a lot mm. yeah i kind of know who did his research I, f- I thought it was uh, as i said only fair that uh, i come at it with um, some something in my pocket uh, something right. in my back pocket uh, uh, but it's uh, it's a film with a very valid place uh, and a, uh, a very valid tone mm-hmm. it's it's done in a way to get uh for shock obviously they want to get a rise out of the audience to make them aware if they aren't and that's a valid thing. It's not an, an attention exploitation whore or anything. Uh, the sequels can be argued to be, as far as I know. Uh, attention to detail is pretty great. Uh, it's well executed technically, especially the set design um, to special effects. Uh, they are very good. And it's not an easy watch, uh, uh, but in many ways it's uh, just like a documentary or a book would be on the subject. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's one of those needed uh, viewings. Uh, I'm not one of those guys like, I want to know every evil crap that man has done. But, you know, being into Hong Kong cinema, being into this genre and exploitation and gore, and uh, I'm fascinated by that uh, already. So, yeah. uh, and uh, being interested in the story and uh, feeling it's tough to read up on all of this didn't like. Um, uh, make me not want to watch it rather I, I felt it was needed and I know that my I, I can take pretty graphic violence in movies by now you know I'm, uh, having sat through a movie like Cannibal Holocaust uh, New York Ripper and uh, right. a Serbian film or what have you uh, it's not like that uh, flies by and I think it's funny uh, but I know my I, I know I can take uh, quite a bit you know, we, we, we all take in history uh, in no matter how through, uh, no matter how you take it in via books or documentaries, as I said, you take it in through different mediums. And I often pick films as my mediums, you know, plus, in this case, a little bit of research. And uh, it opened my eyes um, in two ways, obviously, via the research and watching the movie. That, uh, and it confirmed a lot of shitty things that are out there about mankind, you know, and it educated me. And uh, uh, it's a big cinematic punch that was needed, uh, and I think it's uh, very effective. And uh, it is respectful. I, I actually think it is respectfully made, and uh, it's done out of that. I, I want to show the world what happened, you know. Right. It's not shown enough. Uh, Mutum Fei is not like uh, this uh, Gide Gorehound or anything, not at all. No, no, I... 
It's a sledgehammer to the face way of making people look at history, but, you know, it's effective. And if this had been, like, a really, like, if they'd uh, danced around the issue and didn't really show the horrors of it, people might not talk about it like they do today. Mm-hmm. You know? It, sure. it would, even though it might have its reputation, you know, from people who are, you know, big into gore and blah, 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 blah. Even though it may come from that, it's caused many, many people to look up Unit 731 and look exactly. into this information. And it, it is done in a way that... Uh, and, and, and it's not, by the way, uh, uh, it's a good, a positive effect because it's not like, man, this movie did a disrespectful, disrespectful no. job. I want to read up on respectful info. Rather, it actually, right. uh, you know, forwards you in a positive way to uh, read more on the actual info. Right. I agree. Uh, and, and I mean, we've discussed this many times man, uh, uh, about exploitation movies, shameless exploitation, if it is valid or not. I mean, for quite a few of those kind of movies, Hong Kong otherwise, I, uh, you know, e- I rarely see it as having a non-valid place, these kind of movies. And even when I see shameless exploitation of uh, genres in real life, I rarely condemn it uh, because I think it's sometimes so wonderfully point taste that it's yeah. uh, fun to watch you know but also often on the other side of the spectrum it also acts as a reminder as we said and that cinematic gut punch is needed um, sometimes I, I don't mind it I think it's um, it's uh, it's a it's um, a good choice and thankfully being it, it's not made in a cinematic uh, like a climate where you gotta soften the landing with uh, comedy or anything uh, this movie um, you know was done on the fringes and not uh, down to like okay to get the audiences in we gotta have some of the kids play and have fun and throw, throw pie in their faces or what have you know it's uh, it's no it's no such thing you know and uh, it's all the better for it uh, the credit actually reads man behind the sun right man behind the sun but I won't be a whiny tiger on beat bitch about this you know I it's uh, wait, wait wait a whiny tiger on what you know I always refer to tiger on the beat as tiger on the beat for giant fat movie because it is that on the print and I'm sticking oh, okay. with it but you know I, I'm not gonna be a whiny bitch about man behind the sun it's man behind the sun no. get it right you know it's it's not it's not the right place to uh, to be you know Tiger on Beat is a comedy so. I've always been curious about that because I've seen other people refer to it as man behind the sun versus men behind the sun and you know if it were man Bo- behind both the sun work. Bo- it would yeah it would refer to Ishii and then you have men behind the sun well it refers to the entire Japanese government kind exactly of, you know? so so I think it might, man be, might actually be a very um, you know, valid and the actual original title rather than a mess up sure. when they did that short uh, credit sequence, which is uh, th- indeed very short. You know, uh, title, directing credit, and uh, two very um, kind of iconic uh, quotes: uh, "Friendship is friendship, history is history." Uh, I think that was the opening credits, but if not, the that, that um, yeah, thing. yeah, I think, and, and it's referring obviously to countries involved yeah. here being being you know inflicted but also have a good history elsewhere and subsequently but mm-hmm. you know you, you gotta look at it that way separate those two like yeah you may have a friendship but you also have a history and you know I think that it's kind of interesting that the film actually provides some Japanese characters who are you know relatively sympathetic you know the children in the film yes. are Japanese and you know I really, really like that about the film because it's so different from what you see in a lot of Hong Kong film and stuff. Oh, where they yeah. just portray the Japanese as you know the devil. It's it's literally black and white normally, so you're right. very right. Uh, the way the writers of Muton Fei 
uh, ch chose to like uh, show humanity that it's not easy being a surgeon in there. You 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 stand in the hallways and puke, uh, you know, right. daily. What so, uh, one surgeon is said to he does this daily, he'll get used to it. You right, know? and yeah. you know, I don't know if that's something that was forced upon him, but if it was, it it makes the film just much more three dimensional. You know, I I, I don't see it as that because uh, he he seemingly got so much support by. The producers and the uh, and the financiers. So I think um, I think that was his train of thought or right yeah. his train of thought to be honest, because there's nothing he really done to soften uh, soften what, anything. What happened? Yeah. Mo never came off as this uh, rampant like anti-Japanese guy or yeah. anything. Uh, so I, I think it's a uh, very uh, genuine. Uh, so um, yeah, um, it's, it's it's a it's a very uh, what's the word I'm looking for. Uh, it's an open interpretation. It's not uh, just closed-minded view of you know they're the bad guys, we're the good guys, kind of thing, you know, or anything exactly, like that. Exactly. It's uh, this was a terrible event, basically. Yeah. You know, and and obviously he never says that though. Well, the experiments were kind of good in one regard. He never says that, no. obviously. But there are, there were so many doing this humans that some humanity must be present somewhere, and obviously that means Mu right. is uh, not a complete uh, cynical or anything. Uh, this movie is um, uh, best viewed uh, either in English because there is an English dub for the movie, so it was sold internationally. But um, I've yes, never it is, heard uh, that. the World Video US DVD has the um, uh, English dub on it. Uh, but uh, Mandarin language makes sense for me because the cast is gathered from the mainland and Taiwan, and uh, it, obviously a simple choice rather than to dub. Uh, do a mixture of Mandarin and Japanese in the dub because they didn't have Japanese actors but then Mu, as I said, reportedly still had the actors speak Japanese on set for a movie shot silent in this dedicated twist I, I like it but hey. uh, so you, you can see the Mandarin dub for you know the high ranking Japanese officials or what have you, it doesn't really match very well right. because they're obviously trying to speak uh, according to the story anyway uh, Japanese under there, which, you know fine, but uh, mm. they did shoot for six months so they had time to try and get it right but uh, uh, Mandarin all throughout and seeing Mandarin sync up to you know the character of Ishii would have been fine I wouldn't be taken out of the movie or anything mm -hmm. and, and it, regardless it is Mandarin dubbed throughout anyway so uh, but I, I like that very, um, very well shot movie uh, but very matter of fact uh, shot as well because it's working from a 200,000 US dollar budget but uh, uh, Mu is uh, creating this very clear uh, gritty natural frame for everything it does you know so starting from the the opening in uh, I don't know if they shot uh, in Manchuria for the opening scenes in the snow with the kids but uh, certainly this uh, look of the movie is uh, quite something else or, or, or what do you have to say in general about uh, the look I think uh, yeah it, it doesn't I mean you, you, I don't know it's just something like when I first saw the film I didn't know that it would be so snow covered you know mm. That it's such a white film in that regard yeah. on everything outside. I didn't really, I guess I must not have known about Unit 731 because I didn't realize, you know, just how cold everything seems. Yeah, yeah. Northern China after all. Right, and you, you don't picture that one. I don't picture that one, I think, of China, you know, just because of years of kung fu films and things like that, you know. Mm, yeah. You picture everything being nice and warm and... Yeah, this film and sweaty, just, you know, normally right. kung fu films they're all they all sweat shirtless, you know. <laughs> you know. I mean, they're, they're working on these snow-covered landscapes where it seems like it snows either daily or they just caught it on some superb days because it's untouched. 
right. it's completely untouched uh, these uh, opening scenes and uh, pretty much uh, many scenes out in like, snow there are scenes where the kids sit there and crawl around on their faces oh, in, the, in the snow and then when they get back up and they're just covered with it and it just oh, it looks unbearable yeah it's a good point you mentioned the kids like the uh, this is not a super tightly plotted movie it's an end of war story mm-hmm. uh, we see the the fall mainly of unit 731 uh, so uh, but we also see like the key plot is this youth core of uh, Japanese kids yeah. uh, trained to be uh, yeah, to, to be in the youth core and uh, taught uh, propaganda and that unit 731 and the Japanese are perfectly great and uh, even these experiments are super valid and they're forced to watch them and even and and do army training essentially including as you said crawling around in the snow which looks uh, like a very um uh method forced method scene on the kid on the kid actors because it looks cold and i don't think uh it's a lot of faked uh, freezing from the kids even though they're very well clothed but it looks like uh that that's not like flakes warm flakes that they're crawling about in no and like one of the kids man when he comes up his from face is just covered in snow mm. you know as well as the entire body but it's like that had to kind of yeah, I could just imagine that hurting you know yeah for, so uh, out of many that, that is one of the more memorable scenes in terms of like ooh ooh yeah because uh, <laughs> it's more real it's not staged as such there's a uh, lot of like slapping that goes on in the movie against the kids and stuff you know the movie itself it's even though it's not like the main focus of it it is about just like the beating of uh childlike innocence out of these children you know yeah it's like one of the main themes that goes on throughout the entire movie it's just all about these kids who you know they kind of already they know what's right and wrong Mm. but you know they're constantly being told well no no this is right you know yeah, so uh, yeah, they're, they're like uh, scene in the bath house where they they beat up this Chinese man. You know, yeah. he, you know, he asks one, "What is that? That's a man slap." You know, yeah. go to another guy. What is that? A man slap, and or a Chinese man uh, yeah. slap, and then he says like, "No, it's a bad Chinese man," and he orders Slaps. them to like beat the guy, poor guy up. You know, and it, yeah. it goes along that theme of them like, you know, just extracting the innocence out of them and just yeah force feeding the this thing you know bad yeah and it's, no, it, uh, it, it got to the point where he's not a man he's a marata yeah right? exactly uh, exactly the, uh, the like the quite like the term for log i believe as i yes. said in the um in the in, in the opening uh but but there's no need for style in this movie as, as such it's very matter of fact but it is very well designed you know the sets are excellent the costumes are excellent and and actually the special effects are very good as well yes. they um uh, on reportedly a 200,000 US dollar budget according to Mu and and it also uh, the key here is that it seems very focused on being an actual movie even though it doesn't have a character and its fight for freedom or anything mm-hmm. um so uh, do, do do you think it still uh, works despite being this um, fairly unplotted uh, movie? Is that is is that a choice that's uh, valid for it? Absolutely. I think I don't think he's covering any single person's journey in the film. I think he's just kind of given an, a broad overview of mm. you know all the different things that happen during warfare. You know, the children represent innocent loss. Uh, you have Ishii, who's just this blind uh, warmonger, basically, and uh, it's about more than just any single person or you know especially when you can't document who you know was actually there you know well uh, 
good point because next in my notes actually uh, one choice that I'm not sure really mattered but um, I respect Mu for doing it is Mu writing uh, the names of various characters that uh, were victims of experiments as they die in the field you know including the infant that is uh, uh, obviously faked uh, 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 smothered by snow they they steal the infant from the mother and um, let it uh, lie in the snow and uh, shove snow in its face which is obviously a doll that they just move around a bit right one of the most brutal sequences in the film, you know, just like from an idea perspective, you know, hearing a child cry and then hearing it smothered out with snow, it's just, it's... Uh, and and, and Mu actually said that these are actual uh, documented uh, victims of um, of the of it, so, so I mean, it's respectful, respectful, but I'm not sure it was uh, necessary to put the names on screen for, for the effect of the movie, you know what I mean, because we know a lot of real people uh, were victims of all of this, but uh, you know, it's obviously it doesn't take over the movie or anything. Right. I had uh, heard like there's the sequence later in the film where a mother and daughter, and as well as like a bird, are brought into a gas chamber, and like scientists yeah. sit and watch them as they die to see, I guess, who dies first. Yeah. And uh, there's that whole sequence, and I I read something online, you know, where someone mentioned basically a very similar experiment with a, a mother and daughter, and the mother tried to cover the daughter up, you know, mm-hmm. and things like that, while scientists watched and took notes, you know, but I didn't see any names attributed or anything like that, you no, know, no. I'm not sure where... I, I believe that was supposed to be a, a one of the Russian uh, pr- prisoners. It was, uh, yeah. Um, so, uh, Wonder Cruel experiments, obviously a very easy... E- easy f- scene to fake because uh, right. obviously they're not uh, playing around with uh, poisonous gas or anything it's still so. a terrible idea you know it is it is it's uh, drawn yeah. out too so right the, the place was high tech obviously but uh, what I like for the look of the movie and uh, why it's so effective is that it is high tech but it's not like this clean metal looking cle- uh, place uh, sterile place you know it's an yeah. advanced utility with a gritty environment uh, that makes it scarier all the more yeah. scarier you know it's not um, yeah it's not um, a white sterile white environment that uh, just strains on your eyes or anything it's a way more scary and uh, it has been applauded for its design uh, this movie and uh, uh, and uh, I think it definitely deserves that that uh, props you know because uh, a lot of research came from Mu and uh, his insistence was that this is going to be uh, faithful uh, and not uh, over the top and cartoony and what have you so yeah uh, Eventually, the movie reaches like the, the focus that um, not only it's a focus on the kids, but the, it's the focus on the inner workings of the leaders, you know. And it show, shows a divide of what to prioritize, uh, but it's horrible regardless because one side says chemical warfare, one side says bacterial warfare, and uh, the Japanese themselves are kind of not um, are on agreement on how to move forward. But regardless, they're creating obviously horrors because of this just because they are divided doesn't mean that some wants the experiments to stop yeah uh, which so um that that is uh, th- that is interesting it gives an insight the insight that is welcome you know and obviously not sympathetic and it's not meant mm. to be sympathetic um and and also gore fans might not like that it's a slow start of a movie it's not uh, right. it's not interested in being like super flashy and move or anything it's a fairly short movie but um I like that it takes its time and not it doesn't throw us into experiments right away or anything it's uh, it will be relentless in terms of its impression yeah. on you but not pulse pounding throughout or anything you know what I mean I would it's say no, the first uh, the first third of the movie focuses on the kids 
You know what I'm saying? And there comes a point where it's just a succession of like constant, you know, experiments and stuff like that. But, you know, that's really not the entire point of the film. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know? And uh, and we, we get these little uh, moments of one of the older kids has clearly not, you know, hasn't gotten the humanity beaten out of him, just yeah. like some adults haven't. Uh, as they witness these experiments, uh, starting with uh, the uh, uh, one of the like quoted scenes, and I mean we we, we need to talk some because there, there's also special effects to be admired here actually. Right. Uh, the outdoor frostbite scene, if you will, uh, yeah. one mean uh, case of uh, and mean in a positive way production design. Uh, it looks like they actually uh, had these ridiculously big blocks of ice for real out there and recreated. The frostbite scene that way. So, do you want to do you want to set it up and what uh, that experiment apparently was about? I don't know even what it was about, but what what, what has happened in the scene? It's uh, quite brutal, man. I mean, you know, one thing that you know, upon revisit, revisiting, I totally forgot about during that sequence was uh, how you know the film. The sequence starts off with this woman being taken with her child. I totally yes. forgot about the child, and uh. They take her outside and basically strap her arms down to a wooden log mm. that is just covered with, you know, ice dripping down from it. And uh, they expose her arms, her hands that are holding her baby. And then one of the soldiers takes the baby, throws it on a bunch of rocks, and steps on it. Mm. You know, they don't actually show the baby or anything like that, mind you. It's just covered in a blanket, but, yeah. you know the idea is there and you know what happens yeah. so after that they have this woman with exposed hands and they slowly they pour uh, you know water on her in these freezing temperatures onto her hands and just continually do it until you know icicles and stuff start coming off of her hand no, no, not a super method scene uh, obviously it's it's faked uh, yeah. I mean it looks cold the environment but obviously right. they didn't do this for real it's a, it's a, it's well done it's actually right. very well done yeah this sequence this part of the sequence for sure is the uh, the ice dripping off of her hands but really what really sets it off and it's really smart is uh, the way Mu has like the ice coming from underneath the wooden block mm-hmm. and has, has the uh you know the military personnel come around with his baton and he smashes the uh glass off the bottom of that wooden you know plank or what have you yeah so it just it reinforces to the viewer you know how okay wow this is really happening that ice is real you know yeah it's uh, a smart little device that's you know adds some kind of gravity to the situation afterward they bring her inside with after having taken the ice off of her arms and stuff like that and she can't even move her you know, hands, and they proceed to stick her hands into basically boiling water, it seems, or at least very warm water. Mm. And once they do this, her hands, her arms become like a pruny, uh, you know, very thin structure, and they, you know, in one little swoop, the gentleman pulls the skin off of her arms, revealing only bone. Mm. 
it, that part, that effect is not as effective as the ice is on the outside. No, it's, uh, you, you would think it would be a little more, I mean, I'm not complaining, but uh, it's horrible, but you would think it would be um, a little bit more gooey and gory than that uh, for real. Uh, yeah. but, but it's effective how they rip it off, yeah. I think that that, that would probably be realistic. Uh, uh, like a glove, you know. Kinda, yeah, mm. the skin just kind of rips and tangles mm. too as it comes off. You know, mm. that looks pretty good. But the longer the shot stays on it, you realize that this woman's holding, you know, a pair of fake arms, yeah, you know, because yeah. her arms have the appearance of being like six foot or something, you know. Mm. And the still of this also makes it look uh, a little bit goofy because it's a it's it's a, a production or a movie right. still that obviously ended up on lobby cards and what have you, and it's obviously in circulation. Uh, so, so I agree. I mean, it's a it, it, it's a horrible sequence. The effect is there, but uh, they they were working on a small budget and they they did quite well up until, sort of say that point, but still very very well and and did something that few Chinese or Hong Kong productions at the time uh, had the time to do or need to do or skill to do because yeah. you you didn't see a lot of gory special effects exploitation driven movies in the late 80s because that was not action ruled in, in the 80s and even when the category 3 era hit you know you didn't have extensive story of Ricky type of movies you had gory mm-hmm. movies and bloody movies uh, but it, it's not very common and this is one of the few that uh, aims to you know have a special effects spectacle of this kind you know Shaw Brothers and the likes had genres such as this and then created gore effects and special effects but um yeah, Men Behind the Sun for its time is still and overall still very uh, rare for its focus on uh, on yeah. uh, gore special effects and you know, what have you. Uh, so so I admire it for that. I mean, l- large of the special effects are very good, and uh, as we'll come to in in another in another scene, autopsy scene, autopsy scene, they are very real. Yeah. Um, the, I, I like the little uh, dramatic piece uh, that the movie doesn't. Yeah, it is a through line in the movie that uh, one of the. Um, I was about to say it doesn't linger on it a lot, but it is a through line. One of the Japanese kids in the youth corps uh, occasionally interacts with this mute uh, boy who has uh, retrie- retrieved his ball uh, that uh, he originally wanted to get because they threw it onto the uh, grounds of uh, Unit 731. And they throw a ball back and forth to each other in one scene, which is really lovely because it's a, it's a reminder of the fun that kind of was. Right. And uh, the simple fun that was. But... Um, yeah, as it uh, turns out, that fun is going to be squashed and then and then some. Uh, so, so it's a little dramatic uh, thing that uh, Mu does. That is uh, still um, very um, skillful uh, in a way. Mm-hmm. So, um, um, what else is there to say? Uh, the tiny relief in the movie is that it is set at the end of the war. You know, a tiny relief is that yeah. this facility was on its last legs. At least, you know, but it's a super tiny relief. Super, 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 super tiny relief because they were going, you know, hardcore and full on until the end where they aborted immediately, you know. You, you continually hope to hear from that scene where it's going to go, okay, you know, the war's ending, you know, mm. we've got to get out of here, you know, and stop all this you know, insanity. Yeah, exactly. Um, right, we'll, we'll talk sh- uh, very shortly about the autopsy scene because some scenes are meant to be quoted and I think it's fair to do so uh, just before uh, the mine testing scene the bomb testing scene contains some very effective uh, mm-hmm. uh, makeup they strap uh, a lot of men and uh, maybe women as well um, crucified style on top of uh, crosses on and uh, they blow them up in a quite a cool looking explosion because it's su- such a cool wide shot and right. then you realize that 
all of those crosses contain people and they've just blown them to bits just to test, test bombs. Yes. And, and and you see some crew but very effective special effects of obviously limbs being uh, scattered but also you know yes. eyes ha- eyes hanging out of their eye sockets and what have you and uh, yeah. it's not K and B style high budget effects but goddamn it is it effective it, it really is, is very effective you know that one the eye hanging out the socket for sure is one that sticks with me as well as the man with like this leg blown off and mm-hmm. you know it's like you almost you wonder if that's a person with an amputation that they brought in you know what I'm saying mm-hmm. it's it's effective for sure uh, but let's uh, talk a little bit about the autopsy scene which uh, is actually um, involves a real uh, corpse of a boy and I'll, yes. and I'll explain before you all uh, go go all riot and mad at us and what have you uh, because there is a uh, very well documented story about how the autopsy scene uh, came to be and and uh, the premise of it is that they uh, want to it's actually the mute boy that they bring in a fool to bring in like hey look at us hey look at this and he's like wow cool well he doesn't say cool he's mute then they right. sedate him and uh, they they undress him and uh, put him on the table and start uh, cutting him him up and it's part of that you know uh, autopsy harvesting, you know, fresh organs. You know, in this case, a little boy's organs, and uh, uh, without uh, a violent death being involved, and apparently there was some research data to be had from that. What it is, I can't tell you. It seems uh, far-fetched to me. Uh, but uh, what the what the story, the short and known story of this scene is that they were uh, working on in the scene on the real corpse of a boy. There is scenes where they cut open, cut open his chest and what have you. And the production was aiming for this uh, realism uh, conceptually, uh, and wanted through legal means to get a corpse. But it didn't seem like it was going to happen uh, uh, for the longest of time, because they, they they kept pushing it, uh, uh, pu- pushing it ahead and forward. But uh, finally, they were contacted by the police that a boy uh, like six seven eight years old had unexpectedly died mm-hmm. they move and the producers maybe went down to the police station and got approval from the parents after explaining what their production was and what they were depicting you know we're talking chinese parents here could and, you imagine talking to somebody's you know sub group of parents man and ex- trying to explain that to them i, I think in move is a very is again it's not this like Mad rabbit director, you know, support my art. Uh, but he he went down there. He always came off as sincere. Right. And if it wouldn't have, he would, he could take no for an answer and would have. I think they would have just taken the sequence out or tried to fake it in some way. Right. Uh, but what happened was that he got approval from the parents after explaining what the production was depicting because an autopsy was going to be done anyway and they realized what this movie was uh, you know they they knew of unit 731 and what was done to the chinese so what happens in the scene is they shoot scene with uh, the scene with uh, uh, real doctors uh, playing the japanese doctors uh, the actors obviously easy, easily exchanged because they have face masks on yeah. uh, they cut to there's a shot from behind so you see the camera placed uh, just behind the boy uh, in li- uh, line with uh, with the uh, autopsy table, and uh, they cut to uh, the real boy who looks eerily similar to, similar yeah. to the boy, the kid actor. Because you don't actually the... see his face that well. Exactly, but, but the haircut is so similar. Right. And he, he is a small boy as well. So, so the transition to the reaction shot of the sedated boy, you see his head move because they are so they are opening him up. Right. They are so seamless, and uh, you you do see a good minute of uh, an actual autopsy being uh, started uh, a chest cut open and some body parts uh, taken out and uh, the close up shots are um, 
uh, special effects when you see real clo uh, close 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 shots of uh, organs being taken out of the body I think they talked of it being uh, uh, animal organs or what have you the, for um, years they said uh, that the phone was uh, you know that was that was you know like a real boy being killed on screen you know yeah, that no, was one not. of the little myths behind the film I, I, think, I think it's just starts because oh it's real they killed him. You know, it's someone making this weird assumption that filmmakers are that chilling, you know. And uh, I mean, uh, when you see the heart beating and things like that, you know, you can imagine yeah. some poor, you know, <laughs> unintelligent fool probably just like, wow, you know, they really killed that kid for this. But but, but the uh, but, but the make, I mean, it's the hardest scene to watch. Obviously, um, uh, I. I have no desire in my life to like go search out surgery footage as I said before uh, but uh, for all intents and purposes they didn't do anything wrong uh, it's not acceptable in the eyes of many viewers to use a real something for part no. fictional part real movie but I have no problem with this scene uh, if I'm being totally honest with you Josh uh, it's right. disgusting and tough to watch but I have no moral problem with this scene and that make me may make me sound horrible but it's kind of how, how I feel uh, you say it was animal organs that they pulled the, out? The, uh, he, I think in the documentary or written somewhere, they, for the, there is quite an extreme close-up of uh, the uh, the chest being and heartbeat. And I think uh, e even if it was not animal organs, that close-up was not the boy. Obviously, his heart wasn't beating uh, and uh, it wasn't a real body that they uh, performed on during the close-ups or what have you. I had read uh, someone like theorizing that they may have done it with a, a shock, you know, having some kind of electrical device, you know, put to the heart in order to make it quiver. Mm. But uh, they very yeah. well could have been a pig. They could have also substituted that, you know, because mm, yeah. a pig is uh, very similar from what I understand. I mean, again, we, we have to believe on, believe what the director, not have to, but I, I, I go with the stories that are out there in two free interviews that it's a mix of real and the close-ups are of the um, of special effects or what have you. So um, I mean, it's not Ill it's not um, illogical that it was like that. Um, do you have a problem with this scene uh, on concept-wise, morally-wise, or what have you? Not really. I mean, the parents agreed to it. I mean, I think that's bizarre on their part. You know, I for sure wouldn't allow my kid his autopsy be featured in a film. But you know, yeah, because I think they weren't like yeah being uh, fooled into. Uh, uh, that that move like uh, pulled the rug uh, uh, out underneath them and didn't say. Right. I, I think he was upfront with them. Uh, right. What, what, what he was gonna do. I think you know. I mean, me, I wouldn't allow anybody to use autopsy footage of you know my family or anything like that for no. anything. Period. No. Hell no. But you know, if they agreed to it, then you know they agreed to it probably because they believed in uh, exposing Unit Seven Thirty One would be my group. Yeah. My. Uh, you know, thought, but um, and, and, and they also did this with real doctors. Obviously, they didn't drag the corpse to to the actual. They didn't sets. have the actors <laughs> cracking yeah, exactly. up this kid's chest. Or yeah, anything. I mean, no, they I didn't mean, have to transport it either. So I think uh, po possibly then the autopsy was uh, continued at, right. after the cameras were you know uh, shut off, and they they were going to conduct that thing anyway. So right, like, and for me, I don't know. I mean, I'm kind of having to start to get used to seeing stuff like that. So uh. Why? Medical stuff, you know. Okay, good, good. I, I, I know, but I, I wanted to make it clear for listeners. Like, yeah, I'm, no, I'm no, used no, to it. I'm not, used to it. Not doing it for my own fun or anything like that, for sure. But, uh, you know, for school. And school. Whatnot. School. Yes. Education. Education. But, 
it's not something I love to watch or anything like that. Or, uh, you know, and it's always tough to see a child in that position. But, you know, it happened, you know. And in the most extreme way possible, Moo points your face in it, you know. He shows you, and my God, does it not make that scene that much more harrowing that the child was brought in under you know false pretenses of yeah the dramatic hey, everything's yeah. going to be okay and then and these and five minutes later they're doing this to this kid you know yeah they sedate him with uh, chloroform or what have you or something right. stronger uh, and he uh, you know he's out uh, and then and then like his heart's beating in their hands and one second he's alive and then the next second it's cut out and thrown into a water tube yeah you know, you know, the most chilling part is them uh, like uh, being uh, glad that this operation was a success for Japanese. Oh, great work, guys! Great work. Dinner's on me. Yeah. yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. You and know, then the kid that... who brought him in there, who had no idea that they were going to do that, has to carry the body. You know, push the body back to the uh, incinerator. Yeah. <sighs> Dear Lord, uh, it's 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 um yeah. yeah that's a view on it. I'm Gets I'm, in your I'm, mind, I'm you know. I'm not uh, condemning anyone for saying this is unacceptable cinema, obviously, but uh, right, I have no uh, problem with it. It's not going to be for everybody. That is a very tough thing to watch. Mm. If you have, you know, if you've gone with the movie up until that point, that is the scene that will, you know, pro- possibly make you turn off or run run out of the room or run out, out of yeah. the cinema. Um, the, the 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 thing is. Uh, uh, the movie is also famous for obviously for the scene where a uh, cat is thrown into uh, this uh, pit right. of rats and uh, and uh, eaten, devoured. Uh, that scene, I'm um, 99% sure is uh, faked. Uh, because uh, th- that is also the point where uh, we- we're closing in on like the ending of the movie and the war- ending of the war. That is also the point where she seems like he's just he's not doing experiments anymore he's just doing fucked up stuff for for the sake right. of doing fucked up stuff because uh, he, he comes in with the cat just throws it into the pit of rats and uh, and uh, he uh, I'll tell more about the details of the scene but uh, the conclusion at the end of the experiment is that smart rats can beat uh, a cat therefore the you know bacterial warfare can can beat bombs and guns but what yeah. couldn't you just like said that right so he's he's that mad, and I'm sure he was mad, and people right. were like, you know, if, if just mad and gleeful and doing like shit that wasn't approved, but just uh, bring a guy in so we can cut him up. And what's the experiment? There is none. I'm sure right. that happened. It's, uh, but it's the, like the it's laughable when you talk about it, but it's not a funny scene at all. Obviously, it's just wow, he's off his rockers. It, it yeah, and it shows just how little you know life means to him at this point. Yeah. You know. But, but it be I, an animal or a human being, but it's just all whatever. But but the uh, the the structure of the scene and why I think it's faked uh, is that uh, the 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 cat as it's uh, it's thrown in there and it's clearly wanting to run away from the rats. I think it's scared at that point. There are tons of rats there. Fuck uh, me too. It's a lot of rats. Uh, but as the scene goes on, it's um, you show all of a sudden you see a lot of red of a cat cut to you see a lot more red on the cat as it's like uh, lying in the in get, trying to get away uh, it's not running at this point it's lying on the ground trying to get away and you see l- more and more blood on the cat and then some final close-ups where the cat is very still and the rats are supposedly eating the cat at that point i just think it's a number of cutaways where they splash more and more blood on the cat uh sed- possibly sedated it a little bit yeah 
Uh, and the final thing where the rats are, lick, uh, are eating the cat, it's clear that they are licking the cat. The moose said they used uh, red color, the honey, uh, yeah. sp- spread that all over the cat. And his funny quote about this was that, uh, you know, the interviewer in the YouTube documentary asks, uh, was the cat killed? No, he got tired. And we, we, we did the scene, gave him uh, f- two fish dishes and off he went, you know. <laughs> He's done. He's, he's done. He's done. He's done for the day. He got two fish and all that stuff. Well, I uh, mean, it, that cat was eating the crap out of some of them uh, rats too, boy. Sure, sure. And me and, and and the rats at the end of the movie are set on fire too. So no one talks about the rats. Right. All they know, the cat. Oh my god, the cat. But the rats right. are set for real at the end of the movie. So yeah, I, the cat. I never, the rats I, are the one that end up dying. Exactly. But but is that your take as well? That this scene is a pretty much faked. Yeah, yeah. When I first watched it, I assumed that it was a little bit of both. But, you know, in retrospect, I believe that if Moo were going for that sort of thing, you know what I'm saying? He wouldn't have shown it all. You know what I'm saying? There wouldn't be the yeah. cutaway shots like you're saying, you know? The back and forth to it, that's like a, a classic thing. That's the Wolfman transition, you know what I'm saying? And I'm thinking also something. why it's there in the first place is I think knowing that Moo put so much research into a film, I think it's based on something that he must have picked up on that they just did mad experiments for the hell of it. Yeah. Uh, rather than he, because as you said, otherwise he would have done a full-on animal cruelty scene just right. for and because the producers like demanded it or whatever. And why didn't they show the cat dead? You know. Exactly. What I'm exactly. The cat's actually alive in all scenes. Yeah. Exactly. Um, really, that's the end of my notes. I mean, I, I'm not going to do a real summary of it, other than I, I, I think it is. It has a valid place, and the mood does well with it. Uh, and it, it, it's its reputation of being a hard movie to watch and graphic movie to watch, and a hard movie to unsee if you're affected to that point. It's very much true. Very much true. The hype isn't like t- hasn't taken this movie into the stratosphere in terms of it's the greatest movie ever, and there's like one tiny bloody. F- Bloody thing! And no, it's it is it is that, and possibly more. Yeah, it's a hard movie to sit through, you know. For especially for people that aren't, if you weren't prepared for this, oh my god, you know. Oh dear lord, yeah. That would not yeah. be good. Yeah, the, but... chi- the Chinese audience that uh, that Mu talked about that uh, just went in to see a movie and uh, they didn't know anything and like wow. But at the and... same time, I think it's a it's a really well-made film and I think yes. it has a lot to say and I think that the final the climax of it you know showing basically you know a child once again a child being killed there's a lot of children being you know a lot of violence towards children in this movie and the, mm-hmm. the entire thing is basically about you know loss of innocence and you know the human spirit being crushed yeah. and that, that's ultimately what happens and, and then in, the, in the end it's a Japanese child Whose spirits being crushed, you yeah. know, by this, and that, that's a interesting choice. And you know, seeing you know, blood splattered on the Japanese flag and everything in the final shots, it's it's, you know, he definitely had a lot on his mind, a lot of anger, a lot of uh, just wanting to expose something, and you can see that in the film. You know, this is I'm not going to say that this is a movie that Criterion needs to release or anything like that, but it's a movie that needs to be a bit more respected rather than just looked at as you know, pure exploitation, you know, philosophy of a knife tries to be this, but, you know, just ends up failing because it's obsessed with its own superiority. 
it's that knee-jerk moral panic reaction that uh, I, I don't often side with, you know what I mean? Right. Uh, because you can't get a good debate going. Uh, right. uh, you know, when people reacted to Cannibal Holocaust back in the day and still uh, to a Serbian film a few years ago and what have you, it's, it's, uh, it's that, uh, God, I gotta react like a human being. Hate! Hate! Yeah. Uh, so, so you're very right. I agree. That's a that's a good way to uh, go out. So, unless you had any other notes, uh, let's uh, do the availability. Or, or what, what do you what do you say? Um, I would just like to say that the uh, the sequence in the pressure chamber with oh, the gentleman's yeah. uh, basically his colon comes out of his rectum and Spe- like special effects and that, that 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 took a lot to pull off. I read about that. That wasn't that, easy to pull off. I can't even know how they did it, but it was super effective. It's uh, w- what they did was they they use one actor, they s- do uh, they line on the floor. Actor and exactly, they, they, there's a they, there's a zoom out, so the right. uh, camera goes a bit fussy. Then there's yeah. clearly either another actor or a dummy there. And what they did, they dug a, uh, they dug a hole uh, underneath him, and was supposed to like use uh, oh, wow. uh, pressurized air or uh, some some kind of explosion to make his you know his so to say anus explode on camera and right. it it was hard to pull off they didn't get it to they couldn't get it to work like using a timed explosion or a timed like with pressure air so yeah. they got a guy to uh, ju- with lungs like a motherfucker to just <sighs> blow that content like <sighs> and Jeez. get it to explode in that like uh, cascade type of manner or however you describe it and uh, uh, so it, it was not easy to pull off it's one of the more complex effects according to Mu uh, but it, it essentially dug a hole underneath and then um, used a lot of air yeah. and, and and a pea soup mixture or what have you I don't know it's probably not very complex to do that mixture but obviously it looks like uh, it looks very effective yeah I'm not going to say it's fully you know anatomically correct but it's uh, it is effective mm. it looked, it's pretty nasty yeah, many people thought that was a real cadaver they used, uh, but uh, <laughs> Mua said that that was a special effect, and uh, uh, it clearly looks like an yeah, actor lying yeah. there. And uh, right. you know, he obviously wouldn't be hurt by that uh, mixture of whatever it was coming out from underneath it, because obviously it's uh, uh, yeah. Right. If it were a cadaver, he wouldn't be sweating. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, yeah, you're very right. I I, I forgot about the scene, of, uh, but uh, it's a very quoted scene, but uh, very yeah. well pulled off, I think. It actually made my made me go a little whoa. Yeah, not nothing like whoa, that's fun, but like wow, yeah, that's that. Gross. I didn't expect that. I've I've never seen that before. So right. Uh, but okay. As for availability, uh, the movie has been on uh, Laserdisc and DVD throughout the years in various stages of cut. Obviously, this is a violent graphic movie. Obviously, censored all over the world and all of that. But uh, the Laserdisc uh, was the category free version that was cut for violence and gore. Presumably, it's about ten minutes shorter. So maybe they cut some narrative stuff as well. The US World Video DVD, that's maybe out of print but still uh, on eBay and what have you, had an optional English dub aside from the uh, both Cantonese and Chinese options, I believe. Uh, and a super small cut lasting only a second in, out of all things, the bomb testing scene for some reason has a small, small, small cut. Um, so it's essentially uncut. And I, I want to find it to, to hear the English dub uh, because. Uh, I'm not. I'm sure they didn't goofy it up or anything like, and and bring in some high pitched performer to, to I play a not. surgeon. <laughs> I hope not. Yeah, you're right. Uh, 
Furthermore, one of the recent editions from Germany is still massively cut, about seven minutes. It's called the historical edition. But Austrian editions with, uh, uh, that has been issued with different covers, limited edition covers, are uncut. And sta- Specs State, it's an anamorphic transfer, but uh, it's actually uh, not from a new print or anything. They've uh, done some conversion and upscale uh, things going on there. So, uh, I mean, if you find it, then it, it is an uncut and English subtitled release. But what we watched is this out-of-print Japan shock disc released in the Netherlands. That was uncut, letterboxed, and subtitled. Uh, we actually didn't get the disc for review physically because it goes for quite outrageous prices on eBay when you do find it. I mean, we're not, we're not talking $20 necessarily. I saw for one for eighty ninety. And it was a little bit too much for me at, at this time. So, um, but uh, uh, if I find it, I want to get the two disc edition that contained a documentary on uh, the Unit Seven Three One on uh, on the second uh, disc and all of that. So you so you can get it in some some shape or form, but um, uh, uncut from the Netherlands and Austria on DVD and the World Video US DVD slightly cut and uh, worth getting if you want to hear it in English. Uh, so that's it. Uh, we have no plans uh, for when we're going to do Black Sun and Nanking Massacre. I don't think it's the next episode, uh, as we talked about at the beginning of the movie. But we have a Michael Wong double bill planned for the title of the theater. Yeah, Fatal Love and Mad Stylist we're going to cover. Uh, but for shits and giggles, we should definitely look at the Men Behind the Sun sequels. Yes. Both reportedly directed by Godfrey Ho. Uh, they were called uh, Laboratory of the Devil. That's the second one. And the third one was called Narrow Escape. And by the looks of it, both are mere exploitation cash ins. From Godfrey Ho? Oh, my God. (laughs) Uh, The second movie, you know, does the same thing, but does uses it does new scenes. But the third movie reportedly just copies scenes seen in Men Behind the Sun One. There's a restating of the scene where Ishii realizes how you're gonna spread bacteria because uh, you know when the bowl breaks and spreads all over the place it goes to the big assembly hall throws the ball in the air and asks how many got it on you and that's how we're gonna spread bacteria you know by uh, bombing the population Uh, I saw a clip of it and I think it was from the third movie they do the same thing that's lazy I love you Godfrey but that's fucking lazy and for shits and giggles because I love shameless exploitation in a way uh, we, uh, we, we're going to look those two movies uh, look those two movies up yes. uh, they're not considered and uh, not uh, we- uh, good movies and not acclaimed on the same level Men Behind the Sun is uh, um, so we know that already you know uh, but uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to, um, to uh, doing that so uh, um, so really I mean uh, let's uh, just uh, do brief uh, contact information again and get out of here and uh, f- f- try to feel better <laughs> and do, do something better with our days you know and take a shower geez. yeah exactly but this was this weekend's ladies on Men Behind the Sun and uh, podcastonfire.com is where you find this show all the other shows are bonus episodes email us if you like the show podcastonfire at googlemail.com facebook like a uh, put a like put a like on our page facebook.com forward slash pof network join the facebook group uh, type in podcast on fire network and you'll find it tweet us at twitter.com forward slash podcast on fire follow my writing and video reviewing at sogoodreviews.com and sleazykvideo.com and my tweets at twitter.com forward slash sogoodreviews if you like this show or this particular episode or any other shows uh, leave us a rating on iTunes or a written comment and and a written comment it doesn't take long we, we would appreciate would. one sentence yeah uh, so no uh, no engagement there and it doesn't cost more than a little time 
Uh, but regardless, we appreciate your support. And you can also stream us via Stitcher, download the app to iPhone, iPad, or Android, or stream online as well. Support Brian Kirby's t-shirt line, shelf, lifeclothing.com, and uh, as well as Joshua's, uh, albeit on hiatus writing at veritzelluloid.net. And finally, in your own words, uh, your plug your podcast. The Trashy Trio. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Trash Trio at Lipson.com. Uh, also, just follow us on uh, face, uh, Twitter and Facebook at Trashy Trio on Twitter and Facebook.com slash The Trashy Trio. Right. Love yeah. us. We love yeah. you. Yeah, you're, you're, you're a good fun bunch, and uh, you do a good show and all of that. Much inappropriate jokes about rape, but. Um, <laughs> But, but but I still love you guys uh, right. because I love rape. But uh, I still love I love you guys. I think we uh, get but, away with it because we have a girl on the show. So I, I suppose yeah. Okay. <laughs> who, who is the most like vocal or like of the does the jokers. most rape jokes? Dear Lord, I love you, Wendy. You know that. I approve. Uh, but uh, anyway, let's stop the fucking and get our spirits up. Watching YouTube videos of uh, puppies being cute or something. But uh, oh, God, that's, that's what I need. <laughs> puppies. But uh, it was exam. It was a uh, needed examination. I was glad we do it. But uh, let's do some cleansing now. So um, thank you for listening, and uh, we're, we are signing off. So bye bye. Bye bye.